I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. Finding people throughout your career that will be honest with you and who respect you and you respect is incredibly valuable. Mary Beth Ray has had a long and successful career in financial services with 17 of the last years as president and CEO of Fort Washington Investment Advisors. She believes each of us should adopt a consistent brand in terms of how we duct ourselves and how we dress, influencing how we are perceived. Mary Beth learned young as a child of an executive father who was frequently transferred that she needed to adapt to her surroundings and proactively make connections. Enjoy listening to Mary Beth Ray. Joining me today on Leading She is Mary Beth Ray, President and CEO of Fort Washington Investment Advisors, a subsidiary of Western and Southern Financial Group based here in Cincinnati. Uh, Fort Washington has assets under management of almost $59 billion. Uh, Mary Beth manages uh, staff, a group of 140 employees. She is one of the highest-ranking women in our city and probably state in the tri-state region. Uh, prior to joining Fort Washington, she was president and board member of the United States Trust Company of New York. And she also served as vice chair of the board of the Harris Bank in Chicago and has held numerous positions at J.P. Morgan in London and New York. Mary Beth was featured in Vanity Fair magazine as one of America's most influential women, 200 legends, leaders, and trailblazers. And Mary Beth, I understand this was the November 1999 feature and uh this was uh, all across the United States in all areas, not only business, and uh, you were regarded, and still am, uh, regarded as a trailblazer, uh, broke the glass ceiling uh, in banking back then, as I understand. Yeah, I'm that old. <laughs> <laughs> I am too. <laughs> so, no, that was, uh, that, that I remember that time, and I may have even seen that feature in uh, Vanity Fair. I think it was publicized here locally. But Mary Beth serves the community in many ways. So I want to welcome Mary Beth. Thanks for joining me here on Leading She. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, I'm excited. You and I have met each other over the years at various events, and I know we know a lot of the same people, and I've always admired your career, and you have a fantastic reputation. And um, let's start by um, talking about your career. Tell me, tell me the progression of your career, where you've been, and uh, maybe summarize it for us and, and let us know. Well, I always say it was, it's not, it was not a straight line in terms of my career. Um, I went to Bowling Green State University in Ohio, uh, even though we didn't live in Ohio. And I chose it because I had always wanted to be a language major. And I wanted to live abroad. And I wanted to be fluent. So at that time, um, so I graduated in high school in 1966. That's how old I am. Uh, there were very few universities where you could actually study a language and live abroad and uh, go for a whole year. And Bowling Green happened to be one of the very few. There was like a couple at that point in time. So I did, and I went as a sophomore. And mainly because my family uh, moved my entire life, I really wanted to um, be able to have a college career where, you know, my junior and senior year weren't, I was just walking out, you know, trying to graduate and, and not really get involved. And so that was why I also cho chose um, to be a language major at Bowling Green, and I did. Um, and um, 
when I came out, I thought I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I actually thought about working for the government. And instead, I got a four-year fellowship to Ohio State. And so I worked on my uh, master's and PhD uh, in Romance Languages at Ohio State University and decided that um, I didn't want to be a professor, which was the career you would have chosen. And so uh, I had one of the only deans that was a female at Ohio State. She was absolutely wonderful. And so she asked me to continue teaching. I was a teaching assistant rather than a research assistant you could choose at that time. And I continued teaching and put myself on the job market and started interviewing with a, a recruiting firm. And they placed me at State Savings Company, which was a Columbus-based uh, savings and loan. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to hire their first branch manager trainee, which got me into financial services. So um, I did that for a while. I did mortgage lending and, and some real estate lending and worked with all the tellers and balanced the windows and really learned it from the ground up mm-hmm. and decided that, hey, I kind of like this financial services thing, but I want to do this at a very different level. So I decided to move back home to Chicago with my parents and enroll at Thunderbird uh, Graduate School of International Management and get my MBA in international finance and um, where I could use my languages and, you know, be in, be in financial services. So hmm. that's what I did. went to Thunderbird, got my MBA, met my husband there the first day of classes. <laughs> and um, we decided, um, having interviewed across the country, international banking was really taking off at that point in time. There were not that many women, obviously, at, in graduate school at that time and certainly not in finance. And uh, we decided to go to Chicago. And I started with Chicago Bank. He started with the Chicago Bank. Um, I traveled Latin America for several years, which was wonderful. So I learned to be a banker in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we were transferred to London. Um, his bank and my bank got together and decided to transfer us to London as expats. So we were both expats. Great experience. Uh, we both changed uh, companies in London and stayed on. And then... Um, Those companies actually moved us again um, back to New York, he with his respective institution, mine. And then at that point in time, I took a little hiatus and um, uh, was asked to open an office for a Norwegian bank in New York, which I did, which was a great experience. And then they merged with another bank, and I decided Saturday night fights was not for me because they weren't getting along (laughs) too well. And I went back to work for, so I had worked at Morgan twice. Mm-hmm. And uh, my husband then was transferred to Chicago, so we were a dual career couple. So we've gone through all the pluses and minuses of that. <laughs> and uh, at that point in time, Morgan didn't have an office. Uh, actually, we had offices all around the country, all around the world, but we only had New York at that point in time and a small trading opera, a futures trading operation in Chicago. So I was, um, we were reverse commuting, which wasn't a lot of fun. And so I went back and and had always been very close to the Harris Bank and went to see the chairman and CEO, who was a very good friend of mine. And he said, I'd love to have you back and told me about a position and could I wait for a little bit uh, until he could carve it out. And ergo, I went back to the Harris Bank in a a senior position and um, rose through the ranks there and absolutely loved it until U.S. Trust Company came knocking on the door. And I always thought it was kind of the gold standard in investment management Mm -hmm. and uh, was offered an opportunity to go as vice chairman and, and later became president, and which was a wonderful experience. We actually sold to the Charles Schwab Corporation, 
which is how I ended up coming to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. I had met John Barrett while I was at U.S. Trust Company several years before I actually came here, and he told me about his dream, about what he wanted to build and what he wanted to do, and would have never thought so. But, you know, I always say, don't ever say never. And here I am in Cincinnati, and I've been here for 17 years. That's fantastic. Well, a couple of things. Uh, it's a long career, and you summarized it very, very well uh, in a short amount of time. So a couple of places I'd like to go here with you is you began your education in the Romance languages and uh, sort of, a, I guess, an English focus. But then when did you know that international banking and finance was where you wanted to go? What, what age were you in your life? You know, it was the banking part of it, I don't think I ever really thought about. Mm -hmm. But my mother, my mother was, I had wonderful parents, and they were much older. And um, when I was born, so my mother lied about her age. We're still not quite sure what age she was. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, I know you think I'm joking. I'm serious. Um, she, uh, She always said, you know, if she had it to do again, she would have loved to live overseas. So she kind of embedded it in my brain early on. And what an advantage it was if you could be uh, bilingual or trilingual or whatever. So that part, you know, was embedded. I I don't probably, you know, when I was five, six or seven years of age, really young. And um, so the finance part of it came because of state savings company. And it was really that experience. And I really enjoyed it. Um, And I remember this recruiting guy took, took me under his wing and he said, you know, you, he, he said, will you do a whole bunch of batteries of tests for me? And I said, sure, I'll do it. And he didn't. He said, you know, you've got a really good math background and finance background. Why, you know, why don't we, why don't we try to explore something in that field? So it was the aha of tripping upon somebody who was nice enough to work with me as an individual at that point in time because I thought I was pursuing a career that I decided I enjoyed maybe as an avocation but not as a vocation. Mm-hmm. And that was you know, speaking foreign languages, reading romance languages. Uh, I also had German, had a lot of German, a lot of Spanish, had French. So, you know, that was all kind of fundamental. But as my father said to me one day when he was, he called me, and of course, we have to remember how long ago this was, making a long distance call overseas was a really big deal. <laughs> and um, he's called me, he says, yeah, I think it's really neat what you're doing. And I think it's just fantastic. But what on earth are you going to do with it? <laughs> Right. How are you going to make money, right? That's what my parents wanted to know. Exactly what he was saying and trying to be very nice. And he was a successful businessman. So I knew exactly where he was going. And I thought, oh, he's probably right. Yeah. And and, and you, I was a trainee at uh, Witters Bank, Bank One back then Mm and uh, have a banking background and lending background and state savings, I remember. And um, so it was probably the time where you said, okay, here's a job they're offering me. I want to get experience and I'll just do what I need to do, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, who I well, state savings company, I didn't know what that was. And so I thought, yeah, sure. Some of the other jobs he, you know, offered to me and I interviewed with, I thought, you know, I'm not really very interested in that. I don't think I'd be very good at it. So mm-hmm. this one I thought was kind of appealing. And they also, they were going to train me and put me through a training program. By the way, when I joined the Harris Bank, you know, I also did the same kind of training program you did, which is, you know, this really fantastic, mm-hmm. intense credit training program. Uh, which, you know, included every aspect of international banking operations, the whole thing. I mean, I did everything, you know, you had to, you know, 
We did, I did, you know, opened letters of credit and issued documents. I mean, you did all that stuff back then. Right. And it was a great training. You know, a lot of the institutions don't do that anymore, but we were really, you and I both were very fortunate. Yeah, I agree. I, I spent time, it was a very organized training program. I spent time um, with uh, administrative people in each department. I spent time in credit. Um, just, it was a great, great experience and help help me. And you and I share this. I think you have a propensity, uh, real talent, I think, in writing and language, and you're in a very financially oriented um, industry and career, which which I am. So I have the numbers thing, and I have the uh, I have language as well. So I think you share that, and my language part has helped me a lot in writing and uh, communicating. Would you agree that that's helped you? I think that's true. You know, isn't it almost true in every walk of life? You have to learn to be able to communicate and convey your ideas and be able to get your ideas across if you're going to be effective at all. It's, it's almost in everything we do. It is. It is. And uh, it's somewhat of a lost, I don't want to say lost art, but I don't think it's emphasized enough in our education uh, that uh, how important writing is and composing an email and composing a paper, making sure that it's grammatically correct and, and so forth. But... I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what happens with, uh, you know, texting. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, the, the tone, it, it can get lost in the tone there. Um, the other thing I, I was interested in, and I've had this experience where in my career, uh, you know, you're doing your job, you're going along, and then people see you. And uh, the fellow from Harris Bank, John Barrett, who is the CEO of Western Southern, saw something in you. And and gave you the opportunity because of of your talents and what he what they saw in you. Um, why, why don't you talk about that? Well, I think it it, it goes back to relationships, and um, I've always built my business career on building relationships and working with people, not for people, and uh, trying to figure out, you know, how can you do a better job by working with people. I've always believed that. You know, two brains are better than one and five are better than three. So, you know, it takes it takes that ability to get along and figure out how people, you know, what makes them tick and, and how can we be more effective together. And so I think I, I benefited from that. Mm-hmm. And I always benefited from the fact that um, I always tell um, my primary advice is don't ever burn your bridges. You have no idea how many people come back around in your life and through various unbelievably circuitous routes, but they do come back. <laughs> so don't don't burn your bridges because, in fact, that may be that may be um, a, a career ender for many people, and I think it has been. You know, you 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 and I both know how many times people got upset at the organization they were working with, or they didn't like their boss, or whatever, and um, you know, it comes mm-hmm. back to roots. That's that's absolutely true. And I, I admit that in my career through being upset about something, um, you know, confronting someone about it, perhaps not doing it in the right way, didn't handle it well, I did burn bridges and I've I've learned from that. And I don't I like to believe that I don't do it anymore. And uh so that is very, very good advice. I do I always suggest to people if you get upset or whatever, um, go for a walk. Right. Take time. Do not ever send an angry voicemail. Do not send an angry email. Right. 
Um, if you can't get over it in the daytime, go home, get a good night's sleep, and I'll bet you'll think very differently about it tomorrow morning. Every time, every time. And sometimes it helps to write an angry email, but do not send it. Talk, right, send it to yourself. <laughs> send it to yourself, send it, send it to your spouse, and in which case my spouse would say, you can't send that. <laughs> Thank you, honey. Right, exactly. <laughs> Um, let's talk a little bit more about your childhood. I think you've had an interesting childhood with your mother, father. I'd like to talk about how your father was an executive. He was transferred a lot, and you would often, as a child, move to a new city, a new school, and it taught you some things. I think it formed you in a way that was really interesting and helps you today. Talk about that. Yeah, well, um, you know, you don't really control that, so... In, in that sense, my parents were amazing because my mother always made sure that wherever we moved, uh, we didn't have boxes sitting around. She would, we would move in, whatever, whatever home we were living in, it would get decorated and everything would be perfect. And we were, we lived there and she would get involved. My mother was a teacher by background. She didn't teach all the time I was growing up, but she did when I went back to college. And she, um, just would always be involved. She was very involved in community activities, volunteering. Uh, they were active socially, and uh, they just made it easy. And so, you know, if I wanted to moan and groan about the fact that we were moving yet again, it would last only a couple of weeks because their attitude was so positive that you just, you know, you just you just adapt. Mm-hmm. And it makes you very adaptable is what it does. Yeah. I think I've, I've always said that as a result, I don't ever walk into a room of strangers because for the most part, everybody was a stranger. <laughs> right. Well, it taught you that uh, you had to, in order to do well and have a positive approach to life, you had to learn how to introduce yourself and and get to know your the, the kids in your class or as you got older, you know, um, you know, develop relationships with people you don't know. It's very true. I mean, people mm-hmm. by their very nature are... I learned that a long time ago that, you know, when you do walk into a room of people that you don't know, the majority of people will not come up and speak to you. They don't feel very comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. The most part, they're very comfortable with the people that they've known and been raised with their entire lives. And so consequently, I learned pretty early on that you just have to walk up and start speaking with people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, you just do it. Some people are receptive to it. Other t- Sometimes people are very rude and they... Just kind of ignore you, and so you just walk on. <laughs> walk on. You, know, you, gotta, you just got to walk on, you know. Let it, let it go. Right. Let it go. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you've had a, a long marriage. You don't have children. Um, what do you think, uh, what do you think the secret to having a successful career? You both had very successful careers and a long marriage. What do you, what do you think the uh, secret is to that? I think we, um, we're really good friends. We have a lot of interests in common. We're very different, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, a lot of interest, a lot of interest in common. Uh, we both loved each other's families. You know, very close. I was very close to his family. He's close with my family. I think that helps a great deal. And I think we, you know, we were a little older when we were married. Uh, both of us, you know, pursuing our careers together. So we managed our careers together. And, um you know, we, we've always deferred to each other. You know, it was dependent on who had the best opportunity as to which opportunity we were going to take or what mm-hmm. we were going to do. And I think that's, you know, that's the balance in life that is necessary. Mm-hmm. Every, day is, every day is a new day, and you have to keep working at it. Um, often, I think, since we also grew up during this whole period where divorce is 
so prevalent and, mm-hmm. and can be so sad. We learned early on that um, quite often, if, you, if you're friends with people who are going to get a divorce, quite often they try to tear their other, other marriages apart too. So mm-hmm. we also learned how to handle that. And I think that helped us a great deal. Hmm. Where you had divorced friends and yes. they tried to say, hey, you know, we're divorced. Uh, and so sort of talk to you about divorcing and how, why that's a good yeah. idea. Wow. Yeah. Or it just gets difficult, you know, yeah. just gets in, in that difficult situation, particularly when you're friends with both of them mm-hmm. and they have to pick and choose. I mean, it gets, that gets so difficult. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have, to, you have to pick your spots. And I think yeah. we try to avoid, we try to avoid the, what I call the flow over of negativity. Yes. Understood. You say you're different. How are you different from your husband? Oh, you just have to meet him. He's a character. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're probably a character, too. I know in my case. Think, no, it's all different. <laughs> okay. I mean, I've been married 38 years. And uh, my oh, husband. That's a long time, too. It yeah, is. Uh, we got married a uh, long, long time ago. And we are very different. Uh, we're very alike in what we like to do. Uh, we raise two kids. I mean, we. We are very good friends. I don't trust anybody in the world more than I trust him. I mean, so, but we're we're different, you know. Um, we're, we can't just, we can't both be like him. We can't both be like me. We just, it works, you know. I, that's it. It's exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. We were talking about this at a previous employer. There was uh, an approach to maternity leave that you believed wasn't right. And, um you you spoke up about it, and uh, tell me about that. Okay, so I think the situation was such that we were talking, it was a, an executive management meeting, and we were talking about uh, some of the policies and benefits that we offered, and I was new on that executive management committee, and I was sitting at the table and listening to this conversation, and I kept saying, but we classify maternity leave as sick leave, and I hate to tell you, they're not sick. They're just going to have a baby. Isn't there a way we can change the terminology? So I think that was the context that I was I was uh, talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maternity leave is not sick leave. I think when I when I had my children in eighty six and ninety two, that uh, it was considered sick leave, and uh, you know you're not sick. Although I was pretty sick. Um, you know, that uh, it, it penalizes women for for taking maternity leave, right? I think that was probably part of, I think that was so prevalent in uh, benefits at that point in time mm-hmm. that it was determined, if that was just, it was just a given. And I remember all the gentlemen looking at me like, oh, I hadn't really thought about that before. <laughs> I love when they say that. <laughs> You said something to a male executive that I thought was interesting. Do you remember what you told me? No, which is that? Is that how you would want your daughter to be treated? Oh, at that same conversation. Yes. Yes. Well, so that conversation did evolve into a whole bunch of other topics. Mm -hmm. And there was, I can't remember what the point was. And I was listening to, and I was just kind of dumbfounded by this conversation and it was very paternalistic. It's really what it was all about. Mm-hmm. And I remember turning around and looking at, at two of the gentlemen whom I was friends with. And I said, you know, think about it this way. Is that is that exactly how you would like to have your daughter treated mm-hmm. if she were working in this environment? That's right. Yeah. 
And it, it really puts a different perspective in it. I think one of the best things that can happen to men uh, it, that maybe approach business as a patriarchal you know, power thing and uh, is for them to have a daughter and see what his daughter going out into the world, in the work world, what that's like. I think it changes their perspective. I think it's a good thing. It is a good thing, and I think that I think that was, you know, it was kind of like an aha. I think it yes. was an aha moment. I just it I just it rolls off the top tip of my tongue. I hadn't really it wasn't like some pre-planned conversation, but I remember thinking, oh, okay. He, they said, yeah, you're right. You're right. I have yes. to think about that. Yes. Yeah. Right. You mentioned to me that you noticed something about uh, women that, and I've noticed this a lot that uh, sometimes women in the way they communicate, have a tendency to apologize before they start speaking. And uh, I think it's something you said you've given advice around this before. Uh, tell me tell me about that, communication style with women and apologizing. It's quite frequent, interestingly enough, and I don't know why it is, but I think it's maybe just a little bit of insecurity or not feeling that they're confident in what they're going to say. So they start by saying, well, you may not believe this or I'm sorry to say or whatever. And I always say, please think about that. If you do it frequently, think about what you're going to say and don't put that preamble in front of it because it starts to diminish the importance of what you are saying. Mm -hmm. The very reason that you're doing it is actually having the effect that you didn't really want to have. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, I I can't remember what book I got this from or whatever, but our communication style is if you start statements with, I think, I believe, you can actually diminish the power of the statement. If you say something declarative, and this is, you know, here's what I, here's, here's the situation where you outline the situation without qualifying it around, this is what I think or I believe. Now, you can say, I think, I believe, but really being declarative and making a statement if it's fact, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Be- being willing to be, you know, strong in your convictions. Yes, right. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I've heard it, and I think that's that's great advice. Um, you, were, um, you were given some advice by a mentor uh, in Chicago um, when you had the chance to, you had several employment offers, and he gave you some advice. Uh, we talked about the best advice you've ever gotten. Tell me about that. Yes. So he still says that he doesn't remember telling me this. <laughs> uh, anyhow, we are we are really still wonderful friends, and uh, I worked for him twice, and uh, still just adore him. Um, he called. We were called. I don't can't remember. He called called me. I called him, and he's asked me when I was going to. Um, accept their offer. And I said, gosh, um, and I, we were talking and then he said to me, well, so, you know, how are you going to make that decision? And so I turned the table on him and I said, well, that's a very good question. I'm not sure what do you suggest I do? How, what, what, what do you think about that? You know, how should I, how should I approach this? And he thought about it for a second. He said, well, if I were you, I would think about the chair that you're going to be sitting in. Mm-hmm. And I listened to it, and that's all I said. And I said, oh, you know, that really is meaningful, meaning, and I knew what he meant. He meant, you know, what are the people like? What's the culture of the organization? Um, are you going to like, you know, the way they do business? Are you going to like 
uh, the position that you're going to have, are you going to like the chair that you're going to be sitting in? Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just a wonderful, it was just such a wonderful point, simple advice. And yet, uh, every time I've ever thought about it or made a change, I've always thought about that. And uh, and it, I've made good decisions because of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's very good advice, you know, um, you know, given given three offers, uh, you know, maybe two of them have better benefits and more money and, and things. But, you know, are you going to be happy there? Are you going to, or do you agree with the values of this company? And, Absolutely. Uh, and you're so right. It is so critical. And, you know, we're all different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people have different values and, you know, different cultures and so on and so forth. But um, for me, it's really important that mm-hmm. I like I'm working around, the people I work for, um, what the company stands for, how they do business. I think that's extremely important. Very much so. I, uh, When I sold my company, Quest Commercial Capital, in 2014 to Northmark, um, I, I called only them. I could have called two or three others and had a competitive situation going, but I had observed Northmark when, when it was Northland and uh, its predecessor, and I just watched how they did things and how what the culture was like, and I thought that that just fits with me. Their ideas are, you know, the same often around lender relationships and borrower relationships, and I just thought I'm I will not have to look over my shoulder at this company, and I've not regretted it for one second. It was the best decision I've ever made, and it's the same thing. It is exactly. Yeah. And yeah. and how lucky how lucky we have been that we've been able to, uh, you know, take the time to evaluate and do you know what you like and what you don't like. Mm-hmm. I think quite often that's what happens. Sometimes people aren't really honest with themselves about who they are and, you know, be able to address their careers in that frame. Mm-hmm. Often I think, you know, people get told what they should do or they rely so heavily on outside influence they may or may not actually jive with who they are. Mm-hmm. But that advice uh, to you from his name was Donald S. Hunt. Is Donald, that right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. He was the president of the Harris Bank. Okay. Very good advice. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's like, what is your gut telling you? And it's like, yeah, but this company over here is offering more money. As you, you know, but are you going to be happy? Are you going to be happy when you wake up and, and go in there? Right. Exactly. Yeah. You've talked about this, and I think it's very important for you know young women uh, and all, all of us to to really identify early on what our brand is, you know how we conduct ourselves, how we dress, how we speak, and uh, I agree with you on this. So, you know, talk about brand, how you developed your brand, why you think it's important for people to do it. Well, of course, we live in the city of brand, right? Yes. <laughs> <P&G>. <laughs> That's right. I have to say, I'm not sure that I was cognizant about that from the early days on, but I do think how you comport yourself and, you know, how you dress and what you, you know, what you're doing, what you're saying, paying attention to how you are every day, people are watching and that's yes. the truth. And um, they observe and they form, you know, first impressions are very lasting. So I think I always knew that. But terming it as brand, I don't think so. Uh, But that has become very popular in current times. And Western and Southern does a great job of that. They do 
offer uh, courses to all of our associates to really help them develop their brand. And quite often, people don't necessarily see themselves as other people see them, and I think that's the point. Mm -hmm. And that's really the whole point. So make sure that you, you represent what you think you represent, and if you don't, what changes or what can you do to make sure that it conforms with exactly how you want to be presented. Right. And I've heard it said, and I believe this, this is what you were saying, you cannot know yourself by yourself. You cannot know yourself by yourself. So what I've tried to do, and I haven't always done it, but to really be open to feedback I've had over my career. You know, Susan, you're doing this, and I think you should stop apologizing or whatever before you start a sentence, you know, to really be open to that feedback about about how I'm perceived you know, and that's so hard to find, you know, mm. quite often people don't necessarily want to provide the honesty. They may think it, but they won't say it. So finding people throughout your career that will be honest with you yes. and who, who respect you and you respect is incredibly valuable. Yes, I, and, I agree. And they can, be, they can be in any walk of life. They don't have to be in your industry. They have to be people who... Take the time to get to know you and like you mm-hmm. and really want to give you good advice, not to be destructive, but to really be constructive. Yeah. And I think that is so valuable through, through all of our careers, you know, subtlety and uh, subtle, uh, subtly and, and uh, you know, overtly, if you pick them, we actually have a, um, we've had a mentoring program here at Fort Washington now for several years. And that's the whole point of the mentoring program is to, really allow our younger associates or people who are new to the company to really be teamed up with somebody that they can speak honestly with in confidence and, um, and confidentially mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, help them nurture their careers. Sure. Yeah. Mentor, kind of a formal mentor program, sounds like. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We talk about in this podcast often about advocates and ambassadors. Who are your you know, who are your ambassadors? It can be right. men, it can be women, uh, it can be, but the people that you trust to promote you that are really on your team and will tell you the, the honest truth about this or that. It is, and, and, mm-hmm. and they're, you know, they're probably pretty far and few between, so you've got to seek them out. Yes, indeed. What, what do you think your brand is? If someone uh, asked people in your company, what do you think they would say about about uh, Mary Beth's brand? Oh, that's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> what do you hope they say? <laughs> what do you hope they say? I would hope that they would know that uh, I love the business that we're, that we're in, and uh, I care a great deal about our success and a very active participant in the business. Care a mm-hmm. great deal about our associates and um, care about each one of them. Particularly now, as we're going through this pandemic, it makes you really realize how important that is that we take care of each other and how respectful that we need to be of each other and respectful of people's circumstances and situations. Mm-hmm. And um, overall, I'm, um, I'm a student of our business. I love it. And uh, I never stop uh, trying to grow and never stop, stop learning. Mm, great advice. Great advice. Um, you've been advised over the years, and I think I've had this advice too, about um, the people saying to you that you're making a career limiting decision. Um, oh my goodness, that's been said to me so many times. <laughs> tell me about that. Maybe a specific instance. 
you know, during, you know, because I, you know, in so many places, um, you know, overseas and so on and so forth, you know, you're working around people and the business is growing and there's new avenues and periodically people have said to me, oh, this is a great job. You should, you should uh, take this job or we'd like to talk to you about this job. And when I would talk about it, I would hear about it a little bit, you know, I would, I've said on many occasions, yeah, that's probably a great job for somebody, but not me. Mm. And that they would say, oh, that's a career-limiting decision you're going to be making because you understand this, that, and the other thing. And I always stuck to my guns. I mean, I just knew if I wasn't interested in it, I'm not going to be very good at it. And I think that's an important thing for all of us to realize. If you are not, if you don't have passion for what you're doing, you're not going to be any good at it. And more yeah. importantly, you're not going to like doing it. And every day is going to be either a drudgery or you're going to get up and you're going to really love it and, and be happy to come to work. And I've always felt that way. So yes. uh, I've stuck to my guns. And I've, one of the experiences I've had is when I think back about this, many times those people were in that chair for maybe about six to nine months and then they moved on and they were long gone. Mm. And so how many people I've thought about and, you know, during all the places I've been, tied their coattails to somebody who was no longer in a position that even cared about them. Yes. And so how foolish is that when you make a decision for somebody else and not for yourself? That is true. And we talk about this in the podcast that, you know, when I first got out of college, I just said, somebody give me a job and pay me. I want to show you what what I can do and, and I'll do things that I don't even like to do just to get the experience. And that's what I did. So I spent uh, a lot of time doing very, you know, detail-oriented work. I was very good at writing procedures and analyzing things, um, and I and I liked it. But I, I didn't feel like that was where my gifts were. Like, then that's when I made the change to mortgage banking to go from thirteen years of lending with a life insurance company, Union Central Life, Carillon Advisors, and then banking, and into selling. And we've talked about about selling, but this was selling people with life insurance, you know, companies, uh, you know, deals uh, to, to invest in. And I learned that I really knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I had so many naysayers saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? But I knew in my gut, that's what I was really meant to be doing. See, and you, you, you followed your dream. Yeah. And followed my gut. Yeah. Yeah, you really did. You you knew you knew what you wanted to do and you just sometimes it's not knowing what you want to do, it's knowing what you maybe what you don't want to do. What you don't want to do and you find yeah. out what you like to do, like knowing yeah. that I was meant to do this podcast that uh, I know because I get chills when I talk to you. I've had chills like three times when <laughs> when I've talked to you during our time and I just I just feel like I'm on the right track here with with this. Well, I think it's, it's 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 an interesting point of view, and you've been willing to you know take take a chance. You know, life doesn't call. There are a lot of risks in life. There's no certainty. There's no certainty, and you do have to be willing to take risks. And it may not always work out, mm-hmm. and it may not work out exactly as you would have hoped, and it probably doesn't more often than not. But you do have to be willing to take risks. Yes, and I think quite often sometimes people aren't able to do that. And uh, and sometimes they may not be able to do it for financial and other reasons, but they still, with even in that framework, they should be willing to be willing to explore and you know stick your neck out. 
Yes, and and we talked about that uh, this week with a group of women I spoke to where risk has kind of a negative connotation, risk, risk, negative, but it's really about taking a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, just take a chance on yourself. Take this new job. You speak up in a meeting, you know, take the chance but that it's wrong. Yeah. Raise your hand for an opportunity that you hear is going to happen within the company and you think, gosh, maybe I could do that. Well, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Don't wait to be asked. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. I've really enjoyed this, Mary Beth. Um, I'll, I'll end with a question. Uh, just uh, what's what's next for you? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what's next for you? <laughs> I still love what I'm doing. Yeah. One of these things. I know uh, one day, I know, I've always said, one day I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to say, you know, it's over. It's time for me to do something else. <laughs> That's a, that, that is true. My, my mother uh, was a career woman and she, was, she worked at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, moved up out there for many years. And she told me in her 50s, she said, you will know when it's time to go. Right. You will know. She was absolutely right. I'm like, I, don't, I can't imagine not being this ambitious and competitive and driven, you know, and working like this. She said, you'll know. You, you will know. And my friends say to me all the time, well, so what, what are you still doing this for? And I said, <laughs> because I really enjoy it. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, I enjoy working. Yeah. It gives me juice. I, uh, yeah. During the time we were at home during COVID, I, you know, I just felt like something was really off. I wasn't dressing up, going into the office, and I and I missed it. Now we're doing it very safely, but not everybody's back, and this is a very difficult time right now. It is, I know, and it doesn't, I don't think it's over yet, so no. we've, got to all ha- we've got to hang in there. Yep, hang in there, wear the masks, and do what we need to do to get through it. Absolutely. So, Mary Beth, thanks for joining me today. I loved it. Oh, I enjoyed it, too. Thank you very much, Susan. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leading She. Please check out many other Leading She episodes, which are wonderful. We discuss challenges these accomplished women have overcome in their careers. Please subscribe to this podcast and rate it and review it. Follow Leading She on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have ideas and wisdom for women leaders.